0: Hi, folks, Lindsay and Lindsay here from 5050 Future. Um, we wanted to jump on as we've been having lots of conversations with Emily from Our Minds Work behind closed doors about the spaces that we're both in, with ourselves at 5050, really concentrating and being passionate about all things equality, diversity, and inclusion, and then Emily in the mental health and wellbeing
1: space within businesses from the conversations that we have been having with Emily we were desperate to get out onto a podcast so we haven't done a podcast for years but we thought this is the perfect opportunity to bring her on we would love to know your thoughts and if you've experienced any of this or what your thoughts are generally on it would be great here we
0: go Emily, thank you so much for joining Lindsay and I today. Um, it would be great if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and give us a bit of an introduction.
2: Yeah, brilliant. So for those who don't know me, my name is Emily Pearson. I'm founding managing director of an organisation called Our Minds Work. We are a training and consultancy business that specialise in workplace mental health. Um, I've worked in the workplace mental health field for about seven years now, since it actually became a thing. You know, Eight years ago, nobody was talking about mental health in the workplace like we do today. Um, and before that, I worked over 15 years in frontline health and social care as a practitioner and a trainer and have worked through uh, quite a range of diverse settings from children and young people, in drug and alcohol services and looked after care and uh, criminal justice. And also with adults in, again, um, drug and alcohol services, mental health, dual diagnosis, homelessness and criminal justice. So, um, yeah, being around quite a bit now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you might be able to say I'm a big plant fan. I'm being attacked by a plant here at the minute, which seems to be growing uh, grown really well. So, you know, apart from the my my lifelong um career, which you really has been more than just a career for me. It's it's my life really. And um and have experienced my own mental health problems and problems with addiction since my early teens as well. So um, you know it's it's much more than just a career and a job Um, and it becomes you know part of part of your lifestyle and part of who you are and you know I'm probably not the only one but I often you know get strange looks by my husband while I, I'm listening to podcasts around suicide at seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock yeah. at night <laughs> I think we can
0: the rest with that <laughs> just becomes ingrained in who you are as a person and you don't divide the two. I That's think we're very fortunate nice.
1: that, yeah.
0: that the three of us to be so passionate about our careers that mm.
1: it just it blends things, lovely. Yeah. yeah, it does. And we've obviously known you for quite a number of years now, Emily, and it's great because whenever we see each other, we might have a little catch-up and it's like, right, what's going on in your world? What's going on with ours? And quite recently, which has prompted podcast was that we were having some discussions around a topic that keeps on coming up for us quite often at the minute which I think um, is a bit of an issue of concern Mm -hmm. on both sides of it and that's really around um, how men are involved or as it is excluded more from our conversations that we're having especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion and um, it's something that you know, we don't see it all of the time. No. It's not, you know, it, it's not like every organisation we're going to. But there's definitely pockets of it yeah. where I think, for us, um, because white men in particular are seen as having the power and the privilege, then they don't seem to matter as much. Um, and so that becomes that us versus them mm-hmm. divide when it comes to talking about equal opportunities or any kind of inclusion mm-hmm. work. So. I know that you've put a couple of posts up on LinkedIn recently about it and got quite a bit of um, traction and Mm. quite a lot of comments. So I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about how that's shown up for you in the work that you do do as well. Yeah,
2: it's it's been fascinating, really, really fascinating. And um, all of those services that I worked in frontline were majority with with young men and boys. Um, They do um, when it comes to the distribution scale, they are definitely at the bottom of um, that privilege distribution scale, unfortunately, and so saw this significantly within those services or the kind of lack of support that was actually being offered to young young boys and, and men, and and almost like a lack of um compassion and empathy as well around why those young men and boys were actually in those situations themselves and often were blamed for being um poorly behaved for being aggressive um when actually when you're working um you know quite in depth with individuals like that, what you really get to better understand is. Um, the trauma and the experiences that those young young boys and, and men have actually gone through. So, you know, I saw a lot of it within frontline services, uh, working throughout those kind of two, you know, almost two decades. Once I started working in workplace mental health, um, this has, has become a, it was a brand new sector. You know, like I said, nobody was talking about mental health like right? that. We weren't. Um, we hadn't educated people at scale on how to understand um, poor mental health, the symptoms, the signs that people experience. And it is a relatively new um, area of research, really. We still, to this day, do not really understand, um, you know, what really causes depression in the brain. We might know what might have triggered it, you know, traumatic incidents, loss, bereavement, um, you know, lots of um, abnormal situations that we've gone through that we're responding to. But it was only last year that the big serotonin depletion myth was really kind of busted around that. So we still really don't know very not much about this topic. Um, so we came into mental health in the workplace and for the first couple of years, workplaces and, you know, we did this ourselves as a brand new area to to bring my health and social care background into a new setting. Um We often looked at it quite generically. We looked at mental health as something that was just everybody had, but um, what we offered, we thought actually at those times were 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 to to t- t- it was the one size fits all approach, yeah. yeah, and a lot of us did that, and I think um, what we've also seen happen since then is a bit of a change around how we look at this because actually. Um, when it comes to mental health, a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. And we also know it doesn't work when it comes to generic kind of um, health and wellbeing overall as well. Anyway, as human beings, we are completely complex and each of us are unique and we will all experience um, the complexities of our world very, very subjectively as well. So, um, So we started to look at, well, how do we... Um, explore this mm-hmm. and I think what we saw take a little bit of a bigger movement away from a one-size-fits-all approach within the mental health and wellbeing being um, services was the push towards better support for women experiencing menopause symptoms that was negatively impacting on their physical and emotional health and quite rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> Three women. We kind of know, probably from the age of around twelve, uh, just how much those hormonal changes impact us throughout our our lifetimes. um But what we found was that the movement was just so powerful, and I think women are also very, very good at, at doing this as well, and kind of um, having a collective voice to say, "Hey." <laughs> We aren't getting what we what we need, and these are the things that we need. So, we obviously look. We looked at this as an organisation and thought, right, how how can we support? We get this. Obviously, we're women working in health and social care. Uh, we totally get this. You know, how can we help organisations to better understand? you know what's going on what support can be offered as well within the workplace setting and we designed you know some some services and uh, education that we could provide to organizations around menopause not just menopause and mental health but actually the the impacts on mental health just from the female reproductive system which I've yeah. mentioned throughout our whole lifetime um can cause you know emotional distress physical implications as well so we looked at it more kind of broadly so that we were looking at you know females reproductive health all the way from menarche, which is when your periods start all the way through to menopause and we never got any pushback
1: yeah
2: never would you like some? yes we need th- this is what we need this is brilliant get this in and we're like this is brilliant get this in um what we also what we also did is we designed um uh, an education piece for men so a man's guide as well because what we were finding was we were holding these um workshops and webinars and there were only women turning up yeah. so we were looking at this and going well, well why why might that be happening and what we were finding was um the marketing was very feminized the um, information inside it was very feminized and it wasn't targeted towards helping men to better understand the impacts that it can have on women but also what they could do to support women in their lives who were potentially going through this so we you know we kind of looked at it redeveloped it and then had did a man's guide and then we found that we got men attending those sessions so you know this for me was a little bit of a, a, a just a, an eye opener, anywhere around um, you know, how do we get messages out to people and get the right messages to the right people. So, in the meantime, <laughs> while well, all that's been going on, um, you know, it's never been a secret that male suicide rates are three times higher for men than they are for women. Um, you know, so we've always kind of known that there were inequalities around certain aspects of mental health, um, mm-hmm. f- specifically for men. And we constantly doing research into this and every suicide is, is complex. Mm-hmm. So while we were looking at this, we were um, having conversations with um, a charity called Man Health. Uh, mm-hmm. The founder, Paul Bannister, is also a good friend of mine. And for many, many years, we kept saying there must be something that we can do together. You know, a lot of these services that are being developed and um, developed for workplaces are very generic. They're not targeted towards men. Um, they're often run by female HR, <laughs> um, female employees all putting their hands up wanting to be uh, mental health advocates, champions, mental health first aid is more often than men. Um, so I am generalizing because I'm looking at it as a bell curve. I'm talking about, you know, the 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 main average, you know, the biggest, the biggest group of what we were seeing. Um and ethically, what we both never wanted to do was just create something for the sake of it. It had to have purpose, it had to have meaning. Um, you know, we're both in the work of helping people and supporting people um to live, you know, healthier lives and thrive so we weren't just going to look at law well let's just develop a, a course that we can deliver so we 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 talked about this for probably about 18 months before we actually came up with this um little bit of a light bulb moment and this is how it went sorry this is probably a long story but i feel like it does it does have the start of the story does it will connect with where I'm getting to at the end. <laughs> um, uh, so man health deliver um, community support, peer, to peer support for men in in their communities, which is brilliant. You know they've got quite a significant amount of them throughout the northeast now. They're just about open five more groups, which is just amazing, and the impact that they're having is just phenomenal to to see and hear about um so one day we were sat in starbucks we call this our starbucks moment um we paul had his man health t-shirt on and um we were approached by a guy who recognized paul and this gentleman said to paul oh you're paul from man health and obviously, Paul didn't recognize who the guy was. And he says, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. This gentleman said, um, I saw you. You delivered some a talk around the five biggest killers, which is one of them is suicide, um, of men in my organization a couple of months ago. And one of the things that I took away from that was that I'd been ignoring some very clear symptoms of one of the health conditions that you'd mentioned, which was prostate cancer. He then obviously went to the doctor. He was diagnosed with stage three prostate cancer, but luckily it was early enough for them to remove it. And basically it saved his life. So this guy's saying, thank you for saving my life. His wife's waving and going, thank you. I'm crying. Paul's just overwhelmed. And then I was just the power of that moment. Um, you know, once it all kind of settled down, I said to Paul, this is what we need to do. We need hundreds and thousands of Paul's in workplaces who are men who can um, be positive role models for other men to engage in health and help seeking behaviours. We need men who are building relationships and camaraderie and building trust with each other so that they can have these conversations and not just relying on somebody. Luckily, that day they attended a session delivered by somebody else. so we started look at we started doing some research into this. You know there was nothing else out there specifically for men's health. We looked at the impact that men's health um was actually having, and men's health is you know unacceptably poor. One in five men die before they reach the age of sixty five They die much more often than than us, many of us women do um There are health inequalities for men um that are they're not being tackled and unfortunately what this means is that we've got a significant amount of men dying because of their health and well-being that nobody is really doing anything about so we said well let's do something about it so we created the ambassador program and um what we found once we started to uh, promote the ambassador program contacting hr uh, well-being leads who are ninety nine percent of the time women in these roles, um, the majority of the time we got amazing responses. Yes, we absolutely get this. We've got you know an eighty percent male workforce. we've done menopause for the twenty percent of women, but we've done nothing for men. so we we were seeing that there was a huge gap there and a need there that actually. Um, you know wasn't uh, wasn't being talked about but unfortunately what we also found was a lot of pushback Um, even people being offended by us looking at a men only approach even though that this is positive action for the most at risk group of people (laughs) within a workplace Um, yeah offended a few people um, people didn't want to listen. Um, some One one um, woman who was actually the gatekeeper for a large organisation, um, gatekeeper for their health and wellbeing budget, um, really denied that men were experiencing any type of inequality around their health. So that, for me, was a little bit of an eye-opener, really, and I did a little bit of research around it, and I came across... Um, something called the gamma bias. So the gamma bias uh, is a pretty new concept really in terms of psychology. So it was around 2019 where Dr. John Barry and Martin Seeger had looked at this narrative that I was actually experiencing, but I didn't know what it was, but I found it, you know, extremely interesting. Of why were we getting this pushback? Because actually, it was negatively impacting even further men being able to get access to life-saving information and support. Now, if that was a male HR manager saying no we're not going to do anything around menopause for women I would have had a completely different response to that so that's really where we are now (laughs) and you know why we're having this conversation today yeah I think there's quite a
1: few bits within there that I think we can Pick out of it and thread through. Um, so first off, just to to say that gamma bias is that type of bias which doesn't fit into alpha or beta, where it simultaneously either magnifies or minimises gender differences, doesn't it? Yeah. So like for me, it is really interesting because obviously that's kind of the area that I'm really interested in. So found that fascinating to read up on as well. And we do see. There are some questions that I have around it, but we'll save that for another session. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's definitely some things in there that we see. So we mentioned before about, you know, that empathy gap. yeah, And we say that a lot where I suppose because white men in particular, so you get that pale, male, stale kind of oh. um, yeah. narrative, don't you? And so then anything that anybody who would fit into that, whatever they say whatever they voice it's just not heard because they have the power and the privilege so it kind of seems to be um nowhere for them to have their voice heard yeah. and i think although yes for traditionally you've got that type of person who may have held some power and some privilege mm-hmm. in certain areas but if we look at some of the inequalities so if we are looking around men's health mm-hmm then they don't really use their voice in those aspects. And we need to make sure that we're providing a space for them to use that voice and that people are listening and to not shut them down when they do have issues or concerns. And I feel like, especially with diversity and inclusion, it's one of those ones where I think when some white men potentially come to our sessions, they could feel as though they're coming into a bit of a lion's den where they're going to get attacked yeah. and they're going to get blamed and shut down which is obviously not our style or our yeah. approach to how we do this but, but I really understand why yeah, you can
0: see why particularly when the narrative around EDI and mm-hmm. I is you're privileged your gender doesn't have an issue the patriarchy you hold all the power yeah um it must be really intimidating yeah to then use your voice as you said and and have these open conversations that are really vital and everyone's saying you know it's everyone's responsibility to get involved with diversity and inclusion but there's a lot of i feel attacking
1: yeah and i think when organizations and the colleagues within them don't understand some of the fundamental concepts so whether they either firstly lack an awareness of equitable approaches so like what you were saying when it comes to men's health There is inequalities there, so an equitable approach. It is good to have a men-only program in place to address that. Mm -hmm. So it's where they maybe don't understand why that matters and why it's important. So you get that backlash. But then also I think that in some organizations, there might be some tick-boxing going on where Mm -hmm. white men are actually overlooked for certain positions or roles because they are filling them with more diverse candidates, whatever... That is meaning to them potentially visibly diverse mm-hmm. um, and we see this a lot where visible diversity traits tend to be the Most, default yes. um, and i think that can be really problematic mm-hmm. so i know when we're now in you use um talking about like male panels yeah a i think
0: it's something that, that we see loads on social media or online particularly on linkedin i mean you scroll through your news feed and you'll see a panel or a conference or a picture of whatever corporate wise and if it's a room that visibly looks like lots of white meals, it's like attack of the vultures. <laughs> And I understand why, and don't get me wrong, there's certain scenarios Mm -hmm. where, you know, people need to do a lot better and a lot um, more work about getting more diversity. Mm -hmm. But as humans, we naturally default to that visible diversity and we think, oh, there's just white men. But then we have no clue about all of these beautiful characteristics and traits beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. Diversity, mental health and wellbeing, sexuality, religion, socioeconomic backgrounds. There's so many Mm -mm. that we've no clue about. Um, And it's always one reminder that I'm, i'm really passionate about making sure that we get across in our training of don't just default challenge yourself when you do that because we need to treat people as individuals and not bundle them into this one category it's so much more multifaceted than that
2: yeah and it's and that's the perception that's the perception and that's when the perception then becomes distorted as well doesn't it i think i might have told you before my my husband's you know mixed race um yeah you wouldn't think it by looking at him. You would probably only know just once he's spoken, he's got um, a Zimbabwean accent, yet he looks very white. In fact, he looks like a, um, a black man in white skin. Is If you aren't really paying attention to some of his features and you were just looking at the colour of his skin, you would think that it was white. So if he was stood in that, uh, <laughs> in that yeah. picture... You know, he could, you know, that that distortion could actually be, um, you know, he could be representative of that. And I think we've got into this stage where it's almost become the battle of the sexes. And I think that's where it's now becoming dangerous for people um, because we do make judgments about people. And, you know, the whole point in a lot of... Um you know e d and I work is about being aware of our biases <laughs> and not falling down those traps um where you know we where we potentially look at um celebrating um the the gender that does good, which is usually the female, and recognizing the perpetrators, the people that do harm as as the males. And receiving good, the privileged, the men again, and receiving harm and victimhood, which is often seen as the females. So that that alpha and beta bias is something that I don't feel as if is being represented in that EDI um EDI kind of message as well. It's not being represented there. So then therefore People are not becoming aware of it and recognizing that, oh, actually, I I do do that, you know. And once we are aware of these things, then we're able to to look at, well, how do I change that? How do we become more conscious of it? Um, So, yeah, it's. It's it's getting to the point where what we feel sometimes, not always, it's not always, there are so many amazing HR and well leads and employees yeah. and companies doing some amazing things for everyone out there. Absolutely. Um, but these these kind of hidden, these hidden areas, you know, if we don't talk about them, then people won't understand them and or even recognize them and be aware of them what i've found since having this conversation publicly you know specifically on linkedin kind of raising awareness around this is again i've head above the parapet there's always somebody there who's ready to <laughs> attack you and the the what ifs and all the other sides to it and it's such a complex yeah. conversation really difficult to have sometimes on linkedin anyway um but what's also happened is i have had A lot of messages directly, privately, from guys who are saying, Thank you for saying this stuff, because if I said it,
0: yeah, it'd be a different story. It'd
2: be a different story. Check your privilege. (laughs) How dare you say that you are experiencing victimhood and inequalities? How dare you say that nobody cares as much about your mental health and well-being as everybody else's? Um, so it almost it it is oppressing, yeah, it is now oppressing people <laughs> where we've been shouting about we need to stop oppressing people, but now this is now beginning to swing the other way, and it is now oppressing um the people, the men who have the least amount of privilege, yeah the the least amount of healthy qualities who are living in the poorest um, areas, living in poverty, working in low socioeconomic status jobs and roles where we see those highest rates of deaths by suicide. So, you know, it's it's not usually, um, you know, the millionaire men (laughs) who, you know, often do have a lot of privilege, um, but, you know, can also experience, you know, poor mental health and um that message of and i think this is where it becomes a little bit skewed sometimes you know we constantly saying to men we know the suicide rates are really hard we're constantly saying to them you just need to talk men you just need to talk Talk. yeah just talk (laughs) just Just talk yeah just come on just talk and if you can't talk to somebody when you're struggling and ask for help that's because of toxic masculinity. That's because you're so stoic. And then we blame <laughs> these poor guys. Um you know, it's like, well, what are, what are we trying to do here? You know, are we now blaming them for their own suicides because um because, you know, we're we're constantly telling them that masculinity is bad, um, you know, you've got nothing to complain about. Um, You are the privileged and the perpetrators. You were not a victim. Um, Yeah, it becomes really quite complex when you start to deep dive in this. But the stories from the guys for me have been really, really powerful because it is really, truly showing how oppressed they feel that they can't speak openly about this for that fear of being attacked.
1: Well, that's like completely counterproductive to the whole point of yeah. equality and inclusion, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's, it is dangerous, what you were saying before, because we now are in a situation where we are striving to include everyone and create equal opportunities for everyone, mm-hmm. but apart from them. Yeah. So you... You aren't allowed to do that. You can't take part because you've had your turn. Uh So now we're not going to listen to anything that you say and Uh you don't have a voice. And that has such a huge, huge detrimental impact. And we know, you know, in terms of privilege, so part of our sessions is talking about how intersectional Uh that is as well. So with all of the different characteristics and traits that you possess as an individual, Uh every single one of us, It's going to vary your level of privilege and advantage depending on who you're with, Mm -hmm. where you are, what region, Mm -hmm. what area. There's just so many things that come into it for every single one of Mm -hmm. us We can't just bundle it all onto one group and then not include them in a conversation about inclusion. I
0: think what we're finding as well, or what we're being made more aware of, is because there is such, I think, a lack of understanding and that Mm -hmm. education is so little. Concepts of you know what is EDI, what are equal approaches, why are they important? Mm-hmm. Is that that us and them divide is now meaning that there's a real threat that some men feel, yes. which is actually driving them to falsify, mm-hmm. um, or exaggerate or play on right. their demographic data or their traits and their characteristics, for fear of being overlooked. Mm-hmm. The way I've spoken with men, um, both personally and professionally in our lives, that openly admit that they are putting down that they have different sexualities, that they are mm-hmm. neurodiverse, that mm-hmm. they are telling complete fibs and lies right. because they feel like they need to stand out. They don't want to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. There's that fear of ED&I is for everybody else apart from them. Yeah. And there's no understanding that, you know, true inclusion and equality, it's about leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. It's not about putting people ahead here mm-hmm. and ticking boxes to put bums on seats that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Quality of opportunity for everybody to access the same levels of yeah. support services whatever it might be yeah. um, and that's been a really interesting one for us and mm-hmm. one that we really fight hard to combat yeah. like it's not that's not who we are we're not the edni police to come and no. shoot people down <laughs> and to attack them but well, i can totally understand why
1: yeah and i can see
0: where it comes from yeah.
1: and you you're totally right as well with that you know if if they dare to voice an opinion yeah in that way especially on social media or like you know in, in face-to-face in a group setting or whatever as well you best believe that they're gonna get shot down quite quickly yeah. for that they now don't really see any other group where that would necessarily happen to yeah. in that way um which is it's quite worrying really it is it is a concern um so that being said so i think there's loads within that um that we can really you know deep dive into but I think that gives people a really good feel of what's going on in some of these pockets what can we do about this so what is it that we can do to help bring
2: those men into these conversations to help yeah yeah I think um there are some absolutely amazing guys and women out there raising awareness around this this kind of cognitive distortion and, and bias and i think that we need to continue doing that and for some people it feels a little bit safer to do that and be the voice for others until others feel able to feel safer in numbers i feel like this is definitely a little bit of a numbers game um <clears throat> you know with anything that's kind of leading and new um You're always going to have the early adopters and it's, I suppose it's the, 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 you know, the cause of the early adopters is to raise that awareness to the point where we get as many people as we can on board with this. Um, Especially for people who are in workplaces, who are the gatekeepers Mm -hmm. for this type of information. Um, Because ultimately Those people who are the gatekeepers for these budgets and information that then impacts their decisions that they make on where they invest on improving their workforce's mental health and wellbeing. And currently, it is often seen as a zero sum game. There has to be one winner and there has to be one loser. And that's not how it needs to be. So I think helping people just to think a little bit differently about it and Um, You know, raising awareness around this is, it has to be the starting point um, and helping people to see it for themselves. Because I think once you see it, it's like one of them um, magic, magic pictures, isn't it? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. (laughs) And then you start seeing it everywhere. So, um, so So for me, yeah, raising awareness about it. Um and learning more about it as well, you know, and looking at it with again compassion and empathy. <clears throat> you know, I'm not <clears throat> saying to anyone that they are wrong for thinking and feeling that way because often they just they just don't know enough about why they may be thinking and feeling that way. So again, you know, being compassionate and curious with people around well, why do you feel so strongly about that um you know i i thought about that 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 woman specifically she said i defended her just by saying that you know men ha- had health inequalities that need improving and that the man ambassador program was only for men <laughs> because of it's you know it's positive positive action towards a very very high at risk group and at first, I was really, really upset about it. Um, she called us a bully. She said that I was a bully for trying to raise awareness around some of the statistics. Um, so she didn't like that. And obviously, anyone that knows me knows that that's not who I am. And no. um, absolutely not. And I came away, and I was really trying to think about her with compassion and empathy. And thinking, you know, why, why does she feel that way? You know, maybe she has, she is a, a, you know, a survivor of domestic violence. Maybe she's had really bad experiences with men. And we often see that, don't we, when we have some of the strongest emotions that we feel. It's usually from, you know, something that's caused us harm. So I think we'll have to, again, not get into that battle. And I try my hardest to, to not get into that battle, but to try and raise awareness. But then also, you know, try to kind of better understand where people do come from if they're unable to see that or they don't want to see it. You know, they people will also have their own agendas for why that may or may not be. So, yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. <laughs> It definitely is, yeah. And I think for us,
1: it's about bridging that us versus them yeah. divide so that it's, a, again, a raising reason that awareness and people giving them the education that it's on both sides of the coin here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just about gender for us either. It's, yeah. you know, we all have lots of different traits and characteristics. Yeah. They're all going to play a part in we are, are and, yeah. and again, what biases that we have or don't have, and you don't know what you don't know. So yes. everybody's lived experience is going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. And one person, like you rightly say, can be feeling something. And it's not up to us to invalidate that mm-hmm. because it's not our experience either. So I think leading with empathy and increasing our empathy of other people mm-hmm. and the impact our thoughts, behaviors, biases mm-hmm. have on others. Mm-hmm is crucial in all of this but also within organizations getting everybody on that same page mm-hmm. that approach to d so they understand why are we doing this what why does it matter what does it mean what is positive action and why is that different to yeah. positive discrimination and yeah. it's really unpicking all of those things
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. it's also just creating that space yeah and really setting the tone of this is you don't know what you don't know, as Lindsay yeah. said. And it's okay to get it wrong. Yeah. We will all get it wrong, and that's totally fine. We get it wrong for a yeah. living, um, and we do this day in day out. But it's about creating those environments where we can have these really crucial conversations yeah. to really progress towards that positive change.
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: And hopefully, conversations like today will contribute to that
2: too. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, probably just as kind of some some closing kind of thoughts for me from that is. We, we've got to look at, you know, these conversations, these actions, these perceptions, these narratives that are happening now specifically towards men. Young boys are listening to that now, right? So we've got to look at what is the impact that constantly giving those messages to young boys is going to impact them throughout their lifetimes. And we know that it will. You know, we look at, when we look at, everybody knows the highest suicide rates are for middle-aged men and middle-aged women as well, but obviously three times higher for men. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that um, that age demographic is actually Generation X. And Generation X have had the highest rates of suicide and death by drug and alcohol poisoning since we were in our 20s. So back in 1983, the highest rate of suicide per age range was 22, right? And as Generation X have got older and older and older, we've continued that trend. So if we really want to prevent suicide, we've got to look at what we're doing now and how that's impacting the next generation because blaming young boys for their masculinity, for the way they are, for constantly telling them that they're the perpetrators, they're the privileged, that can only have negative consequences, not just for those boys who are going to turn into men, but for women, for society, and the entire world. So I think, if anything, um, that's a really big mission, but it's a very important one, and to ignore it when you know about it. Feels a little bit difficult to sit with, so
0: yeah. yeah. I think we totally resonate with that thing that we always say: is that every single one of us is responsible for creating that inclusion or exclusion, and that means when we do see, hear, witness something mm-hmm. that doesn't sit right, you know, it does lie with us to actually yeah. challenge that. That doesn't yeah. mean attacking, confrontational. It can just be a simple <clears> one-to-one. <throat> Yeah, you know I know what you said there you probably didn't mean it in this way Mm -hmm. I would maybe flip it for these reasons and lead with that education to make sure that we that we are
1: challenging things that aren't that aren't right and I think it really is about that taking action indifference is so harmful so once you do know you are aware of it do not be indifferent about it. We must be, you know, taking action It is a huge thing that we need to turn around and quickly as well. So um, I think it would be great as well if anybody has listened to this and found it useful, that obviously want to get in touch with Emily or with us to chat anything through, find out more about how we can support. Mm -hmm. If you just want to have a chat about something, drop us a message, whatever it is, we are here and happy to support and listen. Emily, what's
2: the best way of getting in contact with you? Oh, <clears throat> probably usually through LinkedIn. Um, our website is ourmindswork.com. Um, and I'm obviously losing my voice, and I'm just about to go in. <laughs> Panel for oh, up at the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah don't ring because I can't speak <laughs> <through>. <laughs> no yeah LinkedIn or the website is usually the best places to find out a little bit more about us and and how we can help and have conversations
1: uh, fantastic
2: thank you so much thank you thanks thank ladies you. thank you.